Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The message that he was giving to the people was, again, salvation is found through Christ. The problem is the chief priests and the Sadducees, the same ones that gave Jesus a hard time, began giving Peter and John a hard time. As a matter of fact, they arrested them because, as it says in chapter 4, verse 2, They taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, always remember, Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. There will always be those who will not want to hear about Jesus. They'll do all they can to silence you. Pastor David teaches you today that despite the Sadducees' desire to silence Peter and John, Peter and John continued to declare loudly that salvation is found through Christ. From this you learn that you are never to stop proclaiming Jesus as your Savior, even if it costs you your freedom. Know that Jesus will always be with you. Place Him as the guide for all your words and actions. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Luke chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Move and Power of the Spirit. I invite you to turn to the second book of Luke, uh, chapter 1. Second book of Luke, chapter 1. You're all going, wow, the book of Acts. And I know we're, uh, we're in Acts on Sunday morning, I understand that. But as we are going through the Bible in a year, more or less, uh, we are actually at the book of Luke. And I, I really uh, kind of toss back and forth whether or not we're going to go ahead and do Acts. I uh, really tossed back and forth whether we would do Acts since we're doing it on Sunday morning, but uh, I wanted to get this overview work of uh, the book of Acts also done. So that's where we're at tonight. Uh, a lot of people uh, seem to look at it as the, the fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. As I shared with you actually a couple of weeks ago when we did the introduction to the book of Acts, although the book is called the Acts of the Apostles, you can really look at it and you realize uh, it's, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's only two apostles that are really mentioned of any significance. That's the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. But uh, we see the Holy Spirit working from the very beginning on through to the end. Uh, some have even called it the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was uh, in and through the book of Acts where we see uh, the, the church of Christ being formed, uh, set into motion, literally birthed there in chapter 2. The very beginnings to the point of uh, 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 a church is just just 
kind of pulled together for, from like home studies and small groups all the way to a point of organization and pulling together. We see that all through the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts that point in time where there's now elders in the church that, again, ordering and directing and covering and watching over the church. We find uh, in the book of Acts all of this work, this overriding declaration that this is not the work of man. It's not the organizational structure that a man pulls together. This is something that the Holy Spirit was doing in a whole new way that had really never been done before. It's not just a, a, a Christian style of synagogue meeting. No, God was doing a new work in and through those that had come to faith in Christ, and he was doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. In regards to, again, this work of the Holy Spirit, Adam Clark, and Adam Clark is a guy, uh, he's a Bible commentator, uh, he's a British theologian, but he was like back in the early uh, 1800s, okay? But his word still rings true today. He writes, the simplicity of the primitive Christian worship as laid down in the book of Acts is worthy of particular notice and admiration. Here are no expensive ceremonies, no apparatus calculated merely to impress the senses and produce emotions. Now, you got to figure, this guy's in the early 1800s. What would he say today? Uh, yeah. uh, he continues on, the heart is the subject in which the spirit of devotion is kindled, and the spirit of God alone is the agent that communicates and maintains this celestial fire. He goes on one other area. He says, in the book of Acts, we see how the church of Christ was formed and settled. The apostles simply proclaimed the truth of God relative to the passion, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And God accompanies their testimony with the demonstration of his spirit. What was the consequence? Thousands acknowledged the truth, embraced Christianity, and openly profess it at the most imminent risk of their very lives. When we look at the book of Acts, Luke recounting here the work of the Holy Spirit moving, directing, empowering, and gifting individuals in a variety of ways as God begins to work in that that formation of his church. And although the work began in Jerusalem, Acts shows us how the church, and, 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 and so the work and the ministry of God's kingdom, sprung up all throughout what Jesus had told him. You'd be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem as well as Judea, and then into Samaria, the place that most Jews hated, and then on to the uttermost parts or the end of the world or the earth. The author of the book or, or, or the letter, it was originally a letter to Theophilus, It's uncontested that it is Luke, even though his name appears nowhere in the book at all. You can look all through, his name's not listed. Some of the critics believe that uh, there might have been multiple authors for, for a very foolish reason, because they say that there is a change of the personal pronouns. At the beginning of the book, we see they and them, and then a little bit later, it goes to we and us. But the whole understanding is pretty simple. It's at that point that Luke actually joins with the Apostle Paul, 
Prior to this, he had been writing from the testimony of others at that point in time when he starts writing we and us. He's writing from his own testimony that he's there with them. First portion of the book of Luke, he writes about people and events uh, literally from a distance, separated from the people, separated from the events from chapter 1 all the way until about the middle of chapter 16. Then in chapter 16, it changes. We're, we're going to get earlier into the book also, but go with me if you would right now to Acts chapter 16. Just see this small little change, this small little nuance of change that happens there in Acts chapter 16. And we're going to drop down to about verse 6. And look at the personal pronouns there. Verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia... They came to Troas. That's verse 8. They came to Troas. Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, now verse 10, immediately, what does it say? We. It's at that point, sometime there in Troas, that Luke joins this group, and we go on. Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Choraz, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city. So, and again, and he keeps on pretty much for the rest of the book of Luke with that kind of an attitude because he is there in the midst of it. Pretty much in every case from this point forward, we see that Luke is there with the Apostle Paul. We find further that not only was Luke with with him during his missionary journeys, but at the very end of his life, Luke was there with the Apostle Paul. We find out in 2 Timothy, as he's writing Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me. So make sure and get Mark, John Mark, bring him with you, for he's useful for me in ministry. He's at the end of his days. Luke, the physician, is still there. So the book is written, a testimony of the ministries of some of the apostles, but it is written as the move of the Holy Spirit and the formation of the church from its very birth and on to its spread over the then known world. The information it gives us comes from the facts that are gained by eyewitness reports and from that first person experience that, uh, that Luke received. Luke also known as that beloved physician. Written probably in the neighborhood of around A.D. 60. 63, give or take a couple of years either way, covering this time span of events of A.D. 29 to about A.D. 63. You say A.D. 29, I thought it started after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Wasn't Christ 33 years old? Wouldn't that have been A.D. 33? Well, a long time ago, and they figured that when uh, the, uh, the bishop and I can't remember his name right now, when he pulled together the dating system that we use right now, the B.C. and the A.D., he was actually about four years off. 
and we are actually younger than we think we are. So, so it's just good news. So anyway, so for, for about 35 years or so is uh, the, the time frame that Luke covers in the book of Acts, covering how the church spread, even when it came under great persecution, how the church transformed, as I said before, from being just simply a, a, another sect of Judaism until it was able to stand on its own two feet, from being pretty much exclusively a, a Jewish institution or a spinoff into being pretty much a, uh, entirely a Gentile or at least an international institution. Uh, from those small, intimate groups that we find meeting in houses, even on riversides as, as the Apostle Paul goes through and begins churches and ministries on to the point that they were meeting in, in, in greater uh, meeting rooms, some meeting at schools uh, and other areas that they were able to get, going from disorganized and yet still empowered by the Holy Spirit to very organized and directed still by the same Holy Spirit. Um, You know, you can be small and still be blessed by the Holy Spirit. You can be great and still be blessed by the Holy Spirit. You can be absolutely sometimes in uttermost confusion in some things, and the Holy Spirit can still use you. And you can be very organized and very things laid out in precision, and the Lord still use you. My wife and I know that for a fact. She's the organized one, I'm the confused one. So we see God working in our lives. Chapters one through seven of, of the book of Acts deal primarily, again, with that work of the Holy Spirit in and directly around Jerusalem. Let's look into it this evening as we uh, begin. In chapter one, verses one through 11, here we find that charge, that, that direction of Christ after the resurrection, just prior to his ascension as he's speaking to his followers. We move into verses 11 through 26. There we have the 120 faithful ones that are in that upper room. They all continued with one accord and in prayer and in supplication. And this is, remember, this is where we were, I think, last Sunday when they chose Matthias to be the one to take Judas's place as the 12th disciple. Then we get into chapter 2 and verses 1 to 47. This is the falling or the coming or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2, when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each other. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we'll get more in-depth on this on our Sunday time as we're going through the book of Acts. But right now, you need to understand that there are literally thousands upon thousands of visitors in Jerusalem at that time to celebrate the Jewish festival of Pentecost. They came from a variety of countries. And as they're there in and around Jerusalem, particularly in the area of the upper room, when the Holy Spirit fell in that upper room, the noise, the crying out, all that took place, those that were visiting suddenly started hearing their language coming from these people in the upper room. There's a lot of debate. 
Was it that they were speaking those languages? It does say that they, again, they began to speak with other tongues. So does that mean that they were speaking those other languages? Or was it the ears of the hearer that heard their native tongue from these people? Personally, I believe that God gave them that gift of a foreign tongue at that point in time. Now, there's a lot that we're going to be speaking of over the next several weeks, and this whole idea of what tongues are and what they're not, what they propose to be and what some believe them to be, what we know for certain from the Bible, and other things that we speculate. And sometimes we speculate via the experiences of others, but we'll be looking more in-depth within the Word. So here are these thousands of visitors. They're hearing their own language of, again, uh, as they praise and they worship God. Some stood in amazement as they listened, and, and, and again, the Spirit of God began working in their lives. Others just mocked them, and you remember they said, oh, these guys are just drunk, and Peter says, no, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Peter, though, at, at this point in time, we see a guy who is, again, so fearful, suddenly he is emboldened to be able to stand before the crowd and explain what was going on, and in the midst of his message, he boldly preached Christ crucified for the sin of the world. Look down at verse 41. As again, we're not going verse by verse, but just an overview. Down in verse 41, the results of his uh, message was, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Can you imagine? What do you do with 3,000 people? I mean, what do you do with the nursery, you know? I mean, 3,000 people suddenly, again, came into the body of Christ. Now, many of those didn't live there in Jerusalem. So they, within a few days, they were gone. And so by the Holy Spirit's power, he's sending missionaries to these other countries already. Baby missionaries, I mean, they don't have a full understanding yet. And so we see even in Paul's missionary journeys that, again, he's touching on people who have heard the gospel message before. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers for as long as as they were there, they were being fed, they were relating together and, and spending time together and learning during that time and in prayers. And then the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So it's not just the 3,000, but there's more on top of that. We get on into chapter 3, and actually chapter 3, verse 1, on through chapter 4, verse 22, Peter and John speaks of the, the, the event of, in Peter and John's life as they, they're, they're just going through their day as, as usual. It, it says there that they were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, the hour of prayer. That was their normal course. I don't believe that Peter and John that morning said, hey, you remember that guy that's at the temple, that lame guy? Let's go over there and minister to him. Let's go pray and lay hands on it. I don't think that happened. Can that happen and does that happen? Certainly. But I don't think that's what happened here. I believe these two guys, they were just going up to the temple to pray, and suddenly there's that man. And again, as God brings him to minister to this man, a certain man lame from his mother's womb, from, they, they healed him, he gets up. From then, uh, the crowd goes nuts, and that gives Peter the opportunity again to be able to preach to them how, in verse 26, God having raised up his servant Jesus, 
sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The message that he was giving to the people was, again, salvation is found through Christ. The problem is the chief priests and the Sadducees, the same ones that gave Jesus a hard time, began giving Peter and John a hard time. As a matter of fact, they arrested them because, as it says in chapter 4, verse 2, they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, always remember, Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. They are the cult of Judaism that do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They really don't believe in, in uh, again, that spiritual life. That is why they are you got it, Sadducees. Okay, did you guys get that? So anyway, uh, so the chief priests and the Sadducees arrested him because they've been teaching Jesus in the resurrection. And down in verse four of chapter four, however, many of those that heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. Now, I don't know. I haven't found it real clear for myself whether that's three thousand. Plus the Lord is adding every day and now another 5,000 or did the 3,000 continue to grow and now many came to where the total number is 5,000. Either way, folks, that's a lot of people coming to Jesus and the Lord was doing a mighty work in Jerusalem at that point in time. So as they arrested the guys, Peter and John, they brought them before the Sanhedrin to be on trial. But we find out down there in chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, that Peter, that, that, that just became another opportunity for him to be able to declare the gospel. Peter, it says, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He turned around and placed them on trial. He was supposed to be on trial, but because he was filled with the Spirit, he was able to put them on trial. And by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Peter pulled out all the stops He declared to them all that in no uncertain term, look down in verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which, the, which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Man, Peter just laid it out for him. Guys, you have no other opportunity. There's no other way. The only way that you're going to be able to be saved is through Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, the very one that you crucified. He's the one that you have to come through. Well, as powerful as those words were, what follows, I think, is something that each of us really need to see and really need to comprehend about what's going on. Look at verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were seminary trained and Bible learned. No, what does it say? They were uneducated and untrained men. Now, let me stop right there. That, that's not speaking the, you know, the uh, negative on education. That's not speaking negative on being trained. I believe that we ought to, again, gain all that the Lord makes available to us. But the thing is, remember, 
Peter and John were just fishermen. They were just fishermen. They probably didn't use real uh, uh, high language even as they were speaking there. They perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. But at that point in time, these chief priests and these Sadducees, it says that they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you something right now because it's the same question I have to ask myself whenever I read this. When people see me or see you or talk to you, Do they realize that you've been with Jesus? Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for his son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.